by and large, I've been loved very well. By black men? By, by black men. I think it's really important. Like, very well. And they have taught me how to love myself better as well. Um, hmm. They've taught me how to advocate for myself more, making sure that I, I feel like I belong in the spaces, in the rooms that I'm entering. Um, they've had my, my back in ways that I can't even begin to explain. They supported, uh, definitely starting with today and the work that we've done. Um, typically behind the scenes, like just, I want to see you win. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's, there's been too many instances, like it's so black men love. It's not perfect. <laughs> I have notes. <laughs> see, of course. Of course. Of course. Because no matter what a brother do, guess what? You see, they keep his score. Welcome to another episode of Tune the Fork. I have with me social entrepreneur, founder, and executive director, community leader, daughter, just a beautiful person from what I've been able to glean so far um, from my interactions. I have with me Charlene Anderson. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm glad you agreed to, to, uh, to come on. Like I said, when we met a month and a half ago with Jeff, shout out Jeff what Blazer. Blazer, Blazer, Blazer. <laughs> I, um, I was like, your energy is just off the chain. And I was like, maybe I should ask this sister on. I was like, ah, put a pen in it. Then I had Dre come on. A good brother. Oh, man. He's so inspiring. A best brother. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's he a. That's one. Another beautiful soul. It, it's, um, it's amazing how all of these dots seem to connect if we are aware of the opportunities. Yeah. Sure. And this was a, a really great opportunity. Um, you started a nonprofit. I did. Called Starting With Today. Um, can you talk about what that is? Yeah. So I started Starting With Today 10 years ago, almost 10 years. We attended January of 2024. And it was. I had the vision shortly after having a stillbirth at 36 weeks. So I'm going through this enormous grieving process and I had this really clear vision. And in hindsight now I can tell you it was the barbershop. Like I was at the barbershop, like going through this programming. And so when I had the vision for it, I'm trying to reverse engineer, like how do I get there? So I'm excited about it because it's you know, some people come out the womb knowing exactly what they want to do. Yeah. People figure it out at college. I was still like, I do not know. <laughs> I'm not inspired by any of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it came to me um, in the midst of my deepest grieving about what community 
have looked like that was really good, what it opportunities were still there where we can grow better. Um, and then not having, you know, my parents are amazing people, um, but they was trying to find therapists and a community that can support that level of grief that we normally want to sweep up under the rug yeah. to make other people feel comfortable. Um, it was hard to find that kind of support that I needed. And I thought, well, hey, if I went to Howard, I have a loving community and I'm still, you know, access to great medical health care, you know, um, then what about everybody else? Yeah. And so I thought about the things that I enjoyed the most, the learning environments that I enjoyed the most were not formal settings. Um, mm. Even in former classrooms, the teachers that I connected with the most, it was before class or after class. And that's when they got me and got the buy-in, you know? Um, and I just thought about like, how can we bridge the gap between, you know, you take this test in third grade, you know, to see what track you're gonna be on. And if you do well on that test, then you're automatically in this talented and gifted section. If you don't, then you're, you're kind of dismissed. Your talents are diminished, diminished. And I just believe that like, I'm no better or more brilliant than anyone I grew up with, nobody in my family, but the opportunities afforded to me changed my trajectory. Mm. But I always feel like those opportunities should still be available to like yeah. everybody that wants to do the work of growing and how do we create some support around it. So So when I when I when I go and do my research, I go to your website, I try to get a picture of you, mm -hmm. mind you. I do not know you at all, <laughs> right? Let's get that. Right. Let's this get that out the way. We so, we've had one in-person conversation before this. We had what? We've only had one in-person conversation. Right, right, exactly, just one, and that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. At least I thought it, it, I absolutely. didn't. I didn't offend you. No, no. Oh, okay, all right, good, good. So, <laughs> when I invite people on. I, I, I seek to turn a lens of focus to get to understand them. Mm. Um, so to highlight, you know, what their journey looks like, yeah. you know, how they got to where they are. In a lot of cases, I feel when we are looking at people, we're looking at the ready-made product Ooh. in a way. Yeah. So starting with today is a thing yeah. that started with you based on a journey that you had to travel yeah. to get to that point. Yeah. So I want to do that. Okay. I want to start with you. Yeah. I want to get an idea of where this drive mm. for community, for healing, for, uh, for, for, you know, just centering your efforts around, you know, um, underserved communities, because that's not, you can look at the start with today, but there's a, there's, there's a lot that I feel kind of led up to that. And I wanted you to see if you could start with that in Dallas, with the people, with the parents. And, and you have to start with my grandmother. Okay. My grandmother um, 
was, when I was around, a uh, two-time divorced woman, entrepreneur. Uh, she owned a beauty salon called M Miller's Beauty Salon. Miller's Beauty? Miller's Beauty Salon in Dallas, Texas. Um, at one point, she owned two beauty shops. She passed when I was eight, so my, my memories of her are mostly centered around the beauty shop and waiting like, for my mom to pick me up. Um, but what I do remember very vividly is that people can walk in there with like cakes. People met there, went there to like meet other people that were at the beauty shop. So they didn't necessarily even get their hair done, but they knew they could find sister so-and-so there. And then they knew that somebody needed some groceries. So they would meet there to get that sorted out. Somebody else was grieving and going. So my, I seen my grandmother stop here and like have a prayer circle in the middle of the mm. beauty salon. Um, so I saw that and I feel like my work is not starting with me. It's a continuation of the legacy that I know as far back as her. Um, I'm not sure what my great grandmother did on either side, so I don't have what that continuum looks like. Um, but even just having the clarity of like, you know, having this very nonlinear path wasn't like, it was always, you know, the trajectory that I was on. Um, when my grandmother got ill, she moved into um, our house with my, with my mom and me and she passed in our house. Mm -hmm. And I remember everybody, the house has been full of people and food for like months on end. Wow. And I thought, I think about that a lot, about how my mom didn't have to grieve alone, um, how people rallied around her um, and her sisters and siblings, of course, but um, what community looks like, right? My parents were married. Um, they divorced when I was two. Oh, this is gonna make sense. <laughs> they divorced when I was two. They remarried each other when I was 10. So there were points where like, I've been a part of a single family home. My dad was always around, always cutting the grass, fixing stuff around the house. Even though they weren't together? Even when they weren't together. Gotcha. Yeah, so um, fixing cars, whatever needed to be done, he was there. He wasn't a weekend dad, picking up from school. I would be at his job while he was working until my mom can get, it's just a very, we didn't have co-parenting language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you either was there or you was there. Right. <laughs> um, and it definitely wasn't perfect, but when they decided to remarry each other, um, there was a, a couple of things. So my mom had moved, uh, my grandmother had moved in the past. I saw, I think that was the first, maybe the first or second, that means the first iteration where I saw family come into our home. On the flip side with my dad, he had siblings who were, you know, we're talking about the 80s, so uh, who were affected by the drug um, epidemic in our communities. And they would come and live with him when they got out of rehab or was returning home. And that was a transition space. Mm. Like he was that person for his family as well. When they remarried, um, there were siblings who were um, incarcerated and the children stayed with us. 
as family members who have been affected by homelessness, they stay with us. So their legacy is not entrepreneurial, but it's the same thing. We've always been a space for like healing and transitioning and grief. Yeah. Um, so then I come along <laughs> and trying to find, trying to fit into these narrow boxes that I feel, um, especially, you know, 20, 25 years ago, if you were good in math and good in science, then you should be doing this. You should be doing this. And like none of that fit for me. And um, I went to uh, Howard initially to study chemistry. I thought I was going to be an anesthesiologist, but I, I hated the work. It wasn't that I wasn't capable of it. I was just like, yeah. Barely coasting through. And my mom um, told me to go see the career counselor. This might have been the fourth or fifth time she told me, because, you know, I'm not listening, right? <laughs> How old were you? You know. 18? Yeah, 18. Oh, yeah, we don't do, we don't, <laughs> listening is a, isn't a strong skill <laughs> at 18. Yeah, yeah. Um, but eventually I made my way, and I met Miss uh, Joan Brown, PhD. She goes through these series of tests. Um, I'm sure someone's kind of Myers-Briggs, but all these personality tests, assessment tests, a lot of conversation. And she was like, I don't think you like, I don't think you like chemistry. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Everything around your testing is around people, community, like those are your values. Wow. Um, and counselor, therapist, like all of those things. Um, but my spirit is very susceptible to like what's happening around me. I'm very like, some people can be like, oh, don't matter. Forget everybody. Like, nah, I'm very sensitive to other people's energy. Like an empath? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I knew I didn't want to do day in, day out therapy. So I started, you know, getting a regular job, going into business, learning business. Um, and then eventually I worked my way into the nonprofit sector and then the government sector. And the government sector is where I really kind of find my my footing um, mm. around working for the mayor. Um, I'm not gonna say the city, <laughs> but I work for a mayor in um, the region. And I did my research, so I know the city, but know, I ain't gonna say nothing. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm gonna let you live. I'm gonna let you live. I'm gonna let you live. Um, it's findable, it's findable. Um, <laughs> And so, but that's when I really got to get into like, what does it take to a run the city? What does, you know, working with a couple million dollar budget look like? What does it mean to have community events? How to partner with people, how to partner with elected officials, um, how to bring resources in a very timely and succinct manner to not only the people that we serve, but also in, uh, especially in this region where a lot of employees are black um, as well. How can we make sure that we are being a a good um, employer, mm -hmm. you know, to the people that we're serving, regardless of social economic background, education background? Like, are they growing? Are they getting the tools and resources that they need to develop? Uh, was kind of my niche. So by the time I went to um, Montgomery Parks, was the next place, and worked in their management team and like learning the ins and outs. Now it's a $100 million budget, 800 employees, 
like, what does it take to like run this is what I was really interested in. And I told them like I wouldn't be there more than three to five years. And I left at three year three to go full time into starting with today. Did I answer your question? No, you did. <laughs> you did. You did, and you and you and you really followed the thread too. You, you went back to Granny. Shout yeah. out to Granny. Yeah. What Mary was Alice Miller? That was good. Right, ask her name. Mary Alice Miller. Miller. Quite a woman. She sounds phenomenal. And I think a lot of times, you know, she was a you know over the Sunday school, you know, was a Sunday school teacher, and she did a lot of. Things in the church, definitely a, a staple in the church. And it's kind of easy to focus in on that. But, like, I'm more interested in the messy part. Because, like, you you done divorced two men. Two. You done had... Back then, which is something didn't happen once, let alone twice. And then you also have a business in your own name as a black woman. You know, definitely 70s, 80s, 60s, 80s, 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the deep south, you know, so we we're talking Texas. Um, and so how did she have to navigate that and also be so incredible of a person that like even that messiness is like so she's still so revered. Her her legacy is still so yeah. revered. Like how did she move through that, you know? Um We can be more than one thing. We can be more than one thing. It can be more than one thing. I think of a large part of the the beauty, like I was telling you before, is like just embracing these 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 two conflicting ideas yeah. about about yourself. Because mm. it's, it's it's not like you've got to diminish one. Like they both can. It's like the I felt like the the angel and the devil on your shoulder. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm a eat healthy, but then I'm gonna go get me some Twizzlers when I feel like getting some Twizzlers. I yeah. just gotta balance it, you yeah, know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I know that's an oversimplified version no, of- No, I agree, <laughs> I agree. And I think for me, post 40, I'm 41 now, has been to really fall in love with the entire essence of who I am. Mm. Even the parts that people feel like need editing or that I've been socialized to feel like needs editing or refining. And I'm good, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm really good at how I show up in spaces. I'm probably never going to be a great caller or texter, and that's okay. And I'm not for everybody, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when I'm here, I'm here. You get the totality of of me. Um, and I can't operate in a lot of every every space. So just giving myself that grace, like, not feeling like I need to be everything to be good enough. Mm-hmm. Has has working with such vulnerable communities given you insight into yourself or allowed you to kind of embrace yourself more? What are yeah? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and you know, I'm processing vulnerable communities. Yes, vulnerable communities, and also the most strongest and brilliant. Yeah. Because both things can exist at, at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. And I think about language, though, right? And vulnerable to who? You know? Like, to our oppressors? You know what I'm saying? Um, but, yeah, I think 
I've learned what I've already known, how brilliant, adaptable that we are. You know, one of the things we did initially when starting with today was really focus a lot around um, career development, which we still do, but a lot around this economic empowerment and financial literacy piece, right? And in talking to my community, listening to my community, it's like, we can't financial literacy our way out of poverty, right? Like, mm. if anybody knows how to stretch a dollar, it's black women. Yeah. Period, you know? Um, and by and large, the priorities are still the same. Like, we want our kids to be good. We want our families to be good. We want to be safe, you know? Um, and so those unifiers, I think, have been an ongoing teaching. And I think being in community with um, people that I love but also hold me accountable to this work um, has just re reaffirmed that we have to shift our lens of what's valuable from, for us, it has to be starkly different than what America and white society is telling us about ourselves. And so for me, when I'm with my community, they reflect back to me, my best self, uh, or my gifts. Um, they make room for me. They don't, let me tell you about the times that our community members like have fed me, have like they taking me in. It's not that I'm more than, you know what I'm saying? Like, but to see, okay, she's tired. She needs something too, you know? So it's, it's the both end and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I get to be a part of their families and cookouts and like graduations and those things that are bring life and value to me. So I, I really think it's a really beautiful exchange. Um, it's been the most supportive learning ground because we're trying out a lot of stuff. You know, does this work? Yeah. Does this not work? Um, does this have value for you? What What is your priorities right now? And being able to shift and, and redirect. And um, they're, they're our greatest greatest resource, period. So, and I don't want to stick on it because it's, but I do think it's important. I want I'm trying to get something correct in my mind. I was using the word vulnerable because I was imagining how I felt when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah. But since you and you and you, you had a thought about the word. So help me understand what an appropriate, what, what you, appropriate, a better, more accurate word is. Because what you were describing as you were saying that isn't what I imagined when I was thinking about that community. Because I, I was thinking about it from the lens of a 10-year-old boy who wasn't getting what he felt he needed, like very fun, and which made me feel vulnerable. Yeah. And that's why I use that word. So 
Um, but your lens and what you were describing doesn't sound vulnerable. And I think one of the things about that is um, starting with today has a very strength-based approach to community, right? And that has evolved over time. Okay. Um, but where people see lack, my lens innately since I was a kid has always to look for the positive and the gifts. Um, in my studying, in my reading, in my research, in my um, sidewalk professor, I have some professors from Howard who will teach me anywhere. <laughs> um, I got you. But that, you know, who, who has the power here? And like, mm-hmm. even if we're talking about low income communities, which is, you know, we have to really shape it it's like that it is strategically designed to be low income communities. It's strategically designed to be a vulnerable community to oppression, capitalism, yeah. racism, et cetera, right? Um, and then, of course, all the health inequities that we have in our community by design, like operating as, um, and what black people have done over and over for generations, centuries on our arrival here is fill in the gaps as much as possible. That's strength. Every day they're making something out of nothing, making meals out of no money, um, taking care of each other, healing each other, diagnosing each other like with elements and filling in those gaps. you know, helping each other grieve and heal, still fighting for the things that they believe in, still, you know, wanting their kids to have the best education, want them to arrive home safely, want, you know, green spaces, clean air. And um, all I see is, all I see is strength. And maybe that's still fault, but like, that's what I ride for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, and, and that's the balance. Right. Because to the point I think we were making earlier, both things can mm-hmm. exist. It just yeah. depends on what portion of it you focus on. Yeah, yeah. Like I can say, hey, look, I got this felony. It's hard for me to do A, B, and C. Yeah. But my lady and my kids now still need something. So yeah. I got to go make this work. Right. So, and there are no excuses as yeah. it relates to that because you can't come and tell the kid why, you, you know, this concept of all of it. So it, it, it all yeah. can be, yeah. So I, yeah. Yeah. and it's important for me to, it, as you were saying that, I'm thinking about that reality when I'm speaking to adults, mm. mainly when I'm talking to men. Yeah. Because um, a part of what that programming is and how we're responding is through white society and through what the programming is, even how we respond to our women's behavior. So I can't tell you, brother, that what she did was right. I can tell you what what an appropriate response should be that reflects us as being men because you have the power. Why? Because you are a black man. Not to... 
and I, I know every time you talk about men and women shit, it's got to be a balance to it. But I, that that is the orientation. No matter how underserved you feel you may be, no matter what obstacles you feel are in your way, yeah. you still have the power. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times, at least for me, um, when I do feel defeated, there has always been someone who looks like me that has reminded me who I am and my strengths. So, mm. And that's how we begin to get confident in like what we're good at and like having that reflected back. Sometimes we can't see it for ourselves. Um, but what I do know is that I am privileged to be a part of this Southeast PG County community. Um, we live in the communities that we work. I live down the street from the barbershop that we, that I serve. I see them in the grocery store. I'm getting food. You know, a lot of the parents that we serve have my, my personal cell phone number. They text me. Like, it's, it's there's, there's this thread here, so I don't really see it as us versus them. I see very much as we. I've grown with them. Um, I've evolved with them. The organization as a result, has evolved because of the community specifically that we serve. Now, you have two, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are two main programs within, or, or at least what I've seen visually out yeah. in terms of, like, yeah. out in the community. One is the uh, Shape Up, yep. and the other one is the uh, Women's... My Hair Appointment. My, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So talk about what they what they are. Yeah, so we have about four main programs, and I'll go into elaborate on the Shape Up in my hair appointment. But we have the Shape Up. The Shape Up brings a black male therapist, in or professional, to the black barbershop. So we're in Leeds Barbershop, Southeast DC, Ward Seven, Boyle Road. Um, Leeds has been the owner. We call him Doctor Lee because uh, he's surgical with the Clippers. Um, has, I believe Lee's turns 36 this year. Wow. So Young generations, generations have been through that, that barber shop. Um, every time I mention Lee's to someone that's from D.C., they were like, oh, yeah, I used to go there. My uncle used to go there. Somebody, you know, um, men, women, whoever. Like, they all know Lee's. Um, and then the other flip side of that, like you're talking about, like finding your people, your tribe, and going through that process, Lee's is also does a lot of training. So he does a lot of like people who are returning or looking for a trade or entering the barbershop. Like he trains them like how to become a barber and then they transition out or they stay with on. Like this, it's a very fertile learning environment as well. Um, the second one is my hair appointment. Uh, we launched that in June of 2020. So after um, the pandemic and on the heels of the summer uprisings um, after the tragic murder of George Floyd. Um, it was something that was kind of just in the background. It's like, let, let's move it to the front as well um, to have a space for black women to define wellness on their own terms. And it, around that time, Serena Williams was talking about her birthing experience where mm -hmm. she basically had to save her own life, advocate for herself. Um, that began to me to think about like, you know, what conversations are we having in silos? Uh, Cause when I lost my child in 20, 2008, 
there was no public coin lexicon for like black maternal health. So I thought I lost my baby. Not like this was happening. It was systemic, yeah. Systemic and on a larger scale, you know? Um, and then the people who were experiencing that loss weren't necessarily having public conversations about what that is, what that looks like, what that feels like. Um, it's kind of the things where people don't want to get that uncomfortable, which it's no fault of anybody that's grieving through that process. Um, but I, I believe that community is important, right? And how we begin to share information. So we've talked about that. Uh, we've had Dr. Afia um, on there talking about African traditions and rituals that we brought with us that we may not have named um, and we can reclaim. Yeah. Um, I think it's really powerful. And um, the other programs we do are parent engagement programs where we partner with nonprofits that service children. And we come in monthly to do parent engagement programs for the family and parent or families. So that can look from everything. We, we was doing a lot of career development programming before the pandemic. Um, and since the pandemic, because our community shapes our programming, it has been overwhelmingly wanting things around time management, stress management, mental health, yoga, um, gardening. Mm. So um, these tactile um, creative therapies, so we've learned into more because they realize that they, that's the support that they want the most. Um, and then of course, our last is our digital programming. So we begin, shout out to Jay Hall was really, uh, urging me in 2018 to begin to um, build out our social media platforms, to begin to put content on there. Um, and so we did, and by 2019 came around, began to do more programming specifically for the podcast or digital programming. And by the time the pandemic hit, we were already ready to pivot. Mm -hmm. Within less than two weeks, we had our first um, program on COVID in our community and what we need to begin to look like preventative measures. Um, so yeah, that's his, that's his own thing as well. So yeah, those are. So you're on like season five of The Shape Up, right? This is year five of The Shape Up. I'm calling them seasons. It could be seasons, seasons. <laughs> uh, you're right. Um, we do call them seasons. But yeah, we, uh, we had a program yesterday and that was our fifth year that we've done this. Uh, from May is Mental Health Awareness Month, I believe. <laughs> no, we're gonna say yeah. We're gonna say yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. This, is, this is, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, y'all. <laughs> Starting with today is. <laughs> so uh, that's when we launched it. Um, and that has been such a, I have learned so much in, in leave. Like the learning curve, like emotional, my personal emotional intelligence or what. You could tell me I didn't understand black men. You, <laughs> yeah. But having to decenter myself um, and listen objectively. I've seen so many misunderstandings and miscommunications, like, or just, and, and not even the miss part, but just like the other side of it, the yeah. end part of it. 
It's so beautiful, yeah. you know? And then I think about uh, the ways that, you know, it's really easy to, again, talk about the lack of what we think society says how black men are showing up. But when black men love, it may not be the most linear or like, but it's, it's felt, you know what I'm saying? And we can't take that away. So um, I, I, I love being in that community. It is um, one of my favorite places on the earth and I like to travel. So I still, at least feels like home. It's a unisex barbershop, you know, still very male dominated, but um, it's a very, emotionally safe space mm. that even I get to participate in um, or witness. And that says something about your energy, mm-hmm. you know, and how they perceive your energy and your intent yeah. and being there, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. kudos to you. I mean, obviously you're facilitating it and then to, to be a woman in that space and still, you know, create that safety for them to speak is, is huge. I, I share your thoughts about what I've learned about women mm. in this exchange. Yeah. It, there's something going on about the way we're connecting yeah. and how, how do I say it? How we're allowing society to frame it mm. and create the, the metrics for it, that's really throwing off our ability to see one another and there's so much we have in common yeah there's so much like love and intention but with the ego and the fear it just all goes to shit and so quickly it, it, like like <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, where did we go? We just, we just loved each other like <laughs> legit two days ago. And that's fuck you, fuck everybody. Yeah, yeah. Like and it's day. and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like there's no room. Everybody's <laughs> cup is full. Yeah. I know you. You know me. And anytime I say something that is counter to what you believe, like it's it, it's um, it it. I feel your work, our work, mm-hmm. is a testament to the capacity for us to see one another yeah. in different ways yeah. than what society yeah. is telling us. Men are taking care of their kids. Yeah. Men, men are taking care of their kids. Men love. Their kids. And men love. They, 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 love. they show up. Yeah. They show out. Yeah. Women are patient. Yeah. Women understand. Yeah certain roles and aspects of how to complement the male energy when they're and but that doesn't mean we get all of that shit right all of the time either because we still human i might pop off you know i might do some wild shit here and there but love can still exist absolutely you know opportunity to do something different tomorrow can still be present absolutely in 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 the light of a disagreement or a disappointment right and I think even having that language, I know one of the my most memorable uh, the shape ups that we had was around emotional literacy, and we had the emotional literacy will. Mm. Um, 
And for me, I'm from South Oak Cliff, Dallas, Texas. And so as soon as I feel disrespected, you're going to get out of this immediately. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, as soon as I'm hurt, I'm looking to hurt back. You know, that's how I've just been wired. That's how I used to move. Uh, but that emotional will really help me, like, what are the other steps that are happening before I get there? You know? Mm-hmm. Even just to be able to say, you hurt my feelings. I couldn't say that growing up in my hood, in my neighborhood. That's just not language that we use, yeah. you know? Um, it's not language that would promote my wellness. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you can't get your ass beat. That you, wellness. <laughs> That's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of weakness. And, you know, we have a very long uh, memory in our hood. So, um, but even then that, that translates into my rom- romantic partnership. So now it's like when I'm hurt, I'm immediately, you're going to know. We're going to move some furniture. We're going to, you don't feel it. Um, and so, you know, after that, being able to say, I expected this and was disappointed that that's what's not yeah, what happened. Yeah. Or you hurt my feelings, or I don't feel seen, or I don't feel valued, I don't feel heard. Um it's it's still it's still something, <laughs> it's still a muscle yeah. <laughs> that I am strengthening. Um and but at the same time, I think we're evolving where, you know, even a conversation I might have had seven years ago may not have been as respect, uh, receptive as me talking to a black man now about, you know, I feel disappointed that you didn't show up the way I felt like you needed to show up for me. Like this, it's no longer the same battle. So I feel like there's this um, growth that's happening that we're all seeking. Um, and I think having space too to also be messing, like, you know what? I was having a bad day. I hadn't eaten yet. Like, yeah. you said something crazy and I reacted, you know? Um, and, I th- okay. and, and to still feel loved, valued, seen, et cetera, you know, I think it's really important in our, in our interpersonal basis. There's a lot of avoidance, um, I feel. Because I, th- I think the focus is on the moment of, of like the intersection of disagreement mm-hmm. or letting someone down or hurting someone's feelings. And, and because we focus so much on that, we don't focus on the repair. So, so sometimes you can say, okay, this is going to happen. Let's have it. Let, let, let's make it happen so we can get what we need to get on the table. Yeah. And then let's practice repairing it. Yeah. We practice avoiding Ooh. so much that yeah. we don't get in the habit of repair because because and, and for instance, I think in our mind, most of us feel that once we get there, it's irreparable. When really that's where the work begins. When I tell you how you really made yeah. me feel, yeah. I'm not saying that it's right for me to even hold you responsible for my feelings mm-hmm. in that way. Absolutely. But this is at least how it's showing up. Yep. Now, now that you know where my joint is, now I know that your joint, where your joint is, 
let's figure out how we work through that together yeah. or, or a part of the repair process. And we don't, we don't have enough practice, I feel. We don't give ourselves enough opportunity to repair things. It's always cutting the motherfucker off and, yeah. and not dealing with it. But that's not repair, yeah. you know. So much there, for sure. And I feel like the biggest challenges that I've had um, are around that repair piece and, and not seeing the critical, the, the critique or the feedback of like, I feel disappointed as like you're failing me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like this particular instance, it's not an indictment on the entire relationship, yeah, yeah. you know, but it's yeah. hard to hear that even vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel in my experience with black men, it's hard to hear that in another space that you feel like you're hearing that you're failing. I'm hearing that I'm a failure. Oh, yeah. That's what it translates to me. Wow. The, the thing and me are synonymous. I'm not just failing. I am a failure. Mm. The, to me, the work begins when you're able to separate the two. Because yeah. when, 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 um, when the emotions and, and all of that stuff gets attached to it, from my perspective, it's because I am the thing. Mm. I... I am what I just did. Yeah. So I've got to bring along all of these other emotions. Yeah. Oh, I'm a fuck up. No, 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 you just fucked up. up. <laughs> this, this instance. Slow down. All right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, it, it took me a long time to delineate between, between those two because, but that's a part of that avoidance piece yeah. Because we don't have enough opportunity to work through and we don't have the tools Absolutely. or the maturity yeah. or the vocabulary, yeah. intelligence. There's so many things we yeah. don't have yeah. on the other end yeah. of the intersection to work through it effectively. All of that stuff we just lack, particularly yeah. as black people. And I think what a lot of the folks did back in the day, they just avoided it. And I still think there's still some of that to an extent but I think I get back to this point where, like, we know we do want to be in community. You know, we do want to be in fulfilling relationships, whatever that looks like for us. And we do want peace and harmony, especially in our close relationships, whether it's family or romantic. Um, I, I feel like I've learned that in the barbershop that those themes are the same and how we approach those things are differently. And then also, too, you know, for me, I've been really trying to be more aware to make sure that I'm, make sure I'm not saying that you're a failure. I'm really isolating the thing from this particular issue. And on the biggest feedbacks, I get that I'm more of a all or nothing, but it's also how I grade myself too. So if I feel like I'm not showing up the way I need to show up professionally or my relationships, I feel like I'm not showing up at all. Versus like, no, I am showing up. I may be at 70%, I may be at 80%. But like I'm here, I'm focused. Um, and when you say feedback, you talking about feedback from like your relationships? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me, the I I the growth that I experience or the evolving that I have is mostly in my in my close interpersonal relationships. That feedback, especially on the other sides of like a breach. Uh, um, argument, those learning spaces, it's not always pretty, right? Like it's, <sighs> but you know, love is a mirror for sure. Um, 
And I think wherever there's a gap where my values and how I'm actually showing up are not in alignment. So we're really not even about the other person. It's like, yeah. am I aligned with my own values, with my own, you know, litmus test? And if that's off, then it's like, fuck, you know. But that's where that grace comes in. Because yeah. the, the more we get into practice, I feel, of doing that for ourselves, yeah. it's natural for us to extend it to other people. Like when it's like, when it's the all or nothing, yeah. that's how, that's our expectations for other people too. Absolutely. It's like all or nothing, motherfucker. Absolutely. Like when you said, what do you want to be with me? Then you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, James, from past experience, that's what happens. Like, oh, you just not here. We're here. We're good. <laughs> I had a meeting. What you, <laughs> can, you, can you relax? No, I'm not saying that. Yeah, but you know, but it, 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 there was a point for sure. And um, my exes will testify. It's like, yeah, you know, everything that happened before, you know, my feelings were hurt or I felt threatened, et cetera, like went out the window. Mm-hmm. Versus like, no, this is an isolating incident. It's not a pattern, you know, or is it a pattern that's something that, that needs to be addressed? Um, and then even still, just like re, I think a lot of, it's like decentering myself from it, you know what I'm saying, or my ego from it. Because um, by and large, I've been loved very well. By black men? By, by black men. I think it's really important, like very well. And they have taught me how to love myself better as well. Um, hmm. They've taught me how to advocate for myself more, making sure that I'm I, feel like I belong in the spaces, in the rooms that I'm entering. Um, they've had my, my back in ways that I can't even begin to explain. They supported, uh, definitely starting with today and the work that we've done. Um, typically behind the scenes, like just, I want to see you win. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's, there's been too many instances, like, it's so black men love. It's not perfect. <laughs> I have notes. See, of course. Of course. Of course. Because no matter what a brother do, guess what? You see, they keep his score. The sister got notes. She got, she got, she got. But, the, <laughs> but I think the same emotional safety that women, especially black women, feel like we need in our relationships. That we need to make sure we're cultivating those same emotional safe spaces for black men. But that's easier said than done. Why why is that so hard for y'all? I think society or socialization of black women in particular. Uh, Upon our arrival here has always been to serve. So we're, we're here to birth, produce more labor, and then we're here to serve our families, our communities, our like we're service. Um, and I think there are times where our, we overextend ourselves to fit into this model of what we feel like service is. Maybe service and love is inexchangeable 
inter-exchangeable at this time. But, like, um, and then I also feel like we feel like we, we're socialized to believe that love is ownership. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And mm. it's not, right? Like, love is freeing. Love, I feel freest when I have, like, a good love foundation. I can go as high as I need to go because, like, this love is here. Um... So I feel there are times where we find something that, you know, enchants us, that we want, and we want to cling on to that thing for dear life. Uh, but that doesn't allow for growth. It doesn't allow for messiness. I, it doesn't allow for humanity um, or forgiveness. So, yeah, it's something I'm still working through myself, but, like, I think about that a lot. As you were saying that, I think um, for men, I think relationship is ownership. Mm. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying that, one of the things my father told me when I was young, I didn't understand it until later, and I got it now, though, but it's man's greatest blessings are through the family. Mm. He would say that all the time. Man's greatest blessings through the family. You, no matter, you a man, your, no matter, your, your best blessings is coming through the family. I was like, oh, okay. But what is a family, right? So family is a relationship. Yeah. And I didn't understand it, and I started getting these concepts of like Peter Pan syndrome and, and, and these ideas where, you know, one of the notions with Peter Pan is or it, it's, a, it's a symbolism for youth, and in youth you have endless possibilities. The world is your oyster, you've got all of these things, but to be a man or to be, become an adult is to pick something from that, from, that, from that well and then focus on it. So you've got a big pot and then you use it and come down and be narrow, and then you be singular in your focus to get good at that to, to whatever degree you can be and become excellent at it. And then you can open up below that if you want to go acquire something else to whatever degree you can. But the Peter Pan syndrome is where you're up here with just constant endless possibilities. Yeah. And so to me, in my mind, as a man, those relationships, ass over here, breasts over there, you got endless, no, 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 no. Yeah. So you have to commit mm. to something so that you can narrow it down so that you can get, so you can focus in a way so that you can challenge yourself in the ways that you need to challenge yourself yeah. so that you can actually be freer than you were when you thought you were free. Oof. So relationship as men seeing it being ownership is actually where we get to be our freest from what I'm starting to understand now. Explain that some more. So, and the freedom is of yourself. Okay. Is, is of your, is of your, not of yourself. It's of your, um,
It's of the fears. It's of, it's of your lower, it's of being driven by your lower self, mm. I feel. By your lower des lowest desires as man. We hide behind sex. We blame the fact that it's in a man's DNA to want to go and spread his seed and all of these marrow thoughts and ideas about, you know, about, about who we are and how we show up. I get that they say that this is biology. I don't buy none of that shit. I don't believe it. I just don't. Because yeah. I know how I hid behind it Ooh. personally. So, and I'm not saying that for all people. Right. I know that when you looking for something, you're going to find it. Confirmation bias exists. Yeah. And so the growth areas is trying to understand. So I'm not actually free, even though I'm single, because I'm a slave to my lower self wow. because it's showing up and actually driving and that lower self could be could also be the broken child in me who's not addressing something that needs to be addressed because I'm hiding in unhealthy behavior patterns whatever the case may be so a relationship you I feel you go into that so that you can start understanding because you once you commit to the relationship you have a you have an obligation to be your best self mm. for your woman, for your community, for your kids. When you single, you can just play. There's no real accountability. accountability. I see Keisha on Monday, <laughs> Stacy on Wednesday. Now, this is just James logic. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how valid it is from a universal principle perspective right, right, right. it's just things that i've recognized that are that are that have been patterns in my own life mm. and um and what i've used to bullshit play games propagate a lot of this negative thoughts and images about black men and how we show up and how we play games no it's for most of us i feel it's deeper than just this whole this is just what men are designed to do no, motherfucker, you gotta get your shit together. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta go, you gotta go check in on that boy who you left yeah. in six, the six-year-old boy inside of you that 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 didn't get something that he needed. Yeah. That's driving all of your dysfunctional behavior. Absolutely, he deserves that. You deserve that. Yeah, I could talk about this shit forever, but but I think one of the things that you mentioned is even having the language for saying what you need in that space. I think is really powerful. It's something that I think we're just, as a generation, beginning to figure out. You know, I think we put a lot of pressure on our, ourselves. And so one of the things you said about, you know, needing to show up as your best self in a relationship. And I think for me, my most intimate relationships require the least of me, right? Um, and I love that because I feel like there's so much outside pressures where I need to show up at my best or perfect or up to someone else's standard. Um, but being able to derobe that pressure in a relationship, for me, is like, it's heaven. What do you define as least? You know, I, and this is, this is a more recent involvement, maybe over the last three or four years, um, I felt like in every relationship I needed to, you know, be all the things. And I think there's a couple of things we talk about lenses, right? So when you say ownership in relationship, that like um, makes me want to vomit because 
I personally hate feeling restricted in my my personal relationships, you know. Um, I'm my only child, I don't like being told what to do. I um, innately, also, it's not even just like a rebelling thing, it's like I trust myself to be able to navigate what I need or ask more questions or ask for what I need, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or allow me to agree. Like, don't take my ability to like agree to whatever this need is away from me. Um, so that's, that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is just really, um, I had a, I had a, a man recently, it was the last few years, where for the first time I didn't feel like I needed to cook or clean or like tense to his work and his development and his like, you know, life goals and like, do all the things and like me and my presence was enough. Um. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, those things are nice when you can do them, when it doesn't deplete you, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But it's not a requirement for this space. Like, we can order out, we can hire cleaning. We can, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, so you're talking about the, you're talking about a traditional woman role. Right, I reject those. <laughs> I'm speaking about that. When you get triggered, I got some shit to pop off. Oh, That's okay. what I'm talking about. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. That's the work that I'm saying. Okay. That, 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 that actually, yeah, you, so absolutely, if you don't want to cook, that's not a requirement for right. the relationship. Right. What may be a requirement for the relationship is you relegate your motherfucking emotions oh, when we disagreeing. Absolutely. That's the hardest part to that do. That is very hard. So absolutely. that's the work that you have to do. Absolutely. Or now, even that might not be a requirement for the relationship because the brother loves you enough and accepts you as you are. But. That's what I mean when I say you have an obligation. Okay. If, so me and my lady, as an example, I'll just use this as, an, uh, I'm trying to think, I can't think of a real life example for me and her, but I'm just gonna use this as an example. Um, no, I'll use an example. My woman is the first woman that ever told me that I didn't have to change. Ooh. And that I was perfect, Ooh. just the way that they, just the way that I was, yeah. and my relation, our relationship was not predicated upon me doing anything different. Ooh. First time ever in my life, every woman before had some shit to say, right? Laid out, right? Now, was she saying that because I didn't have anything to change? No. Or was she saying that to 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 signify that who I am? Yeah. In my core enough. is enough. Now, when she said that, I was like, I need to do some shit different. Because I knew I needed to do some shit different. I knew it. Right. That doesn't mean it was, right. it doesn't mean that I'm not still working on it. It doesn't right. mean it's not easy. Yeah. But it does mean that I have a responsibility. Ooh. I know that in my soul. Yeah. To 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 me, number one, and then to her as the beneficiary yeah. 
of the self-work. If, if, if I'm already enough like this, yeah. oh, shit, you about to get the, you about to get the, you about to get the ruler and the tutor. You about to get it all, yeah, right? Yeah. But that's the work that I'm referring to when I say in, in that, that, that we have to do. And that's the hard work. And that, a lot of times Absolutely. that's the work that we avoid, number one. And then number two, prevents us from getting in relationships because that relationship, to some degree, yep. requires us to do that work that we don't want to do. But, you know, I think the beautiful thing about that, it reminded me of how um, cultivating spaces in community, in relationships, in families, in households, create this... Um, space that makes you want to self-initiate like yeah. your own growth right yeah. like some some environments are hostile you know and it's hard to grow in a hostile in environment you know if it's turbulent it's hard to grow in that environment very much so when you create these spaces that are fertile for growth and that you're nurturing and that's the beautiful thing of it and it doesn't require perfection right but it does require intentionality and wanting to show up and i, I think that's how you create these on a larger scale, these community norms, but definitely um, in a relationship, these these spaces where like you're affirmed and replenished in in. So I think for me, that's the litmus test: Am yeah. I depleted here, or am I replenished here? And do I deplete or do I diminish, or, or you know, do I replenish? And um, You mentioned the term in one of your joints called modification. Mm -hmm. Is that more of a mindset that helps you align with what you just described? Or, well, I guess that any even actions start with a mind shift, shift. Right. mind shift, mindset shift, Jesus. Um, Talk about this word modification. Modification. Um, really comes up a lot in yoga and working out um, where they have like, this is what we're doing, but if you can't do this, then try this. If you can't do this, mm. and I was, I'm not even gonna do tear. I'm gonna say, then try to do this. If you can't do this, then maybe try to do this. Whatever works for your body, you know? And I think a lot of times for me, when I tell you that I'm all or nothing, uh, naturally wired it's like if I felt like I couldn't do 100% now I felt like I couldn't do it or I wouldn't do it or I procrastinate to the last minute or uh, avoid avoid showing up right that avoidance piece so for modification like um, uh, Dr. Chelsea Jackson Roberts is she's on Peloton she's like a black woman on Spelman she's an amazing instructor She's always saying, like, how's your body showing up today? Mm. So whatever the metric was I had for myself yesterday, it might be different from today. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. Um, and then she does this thing, too, like making sure that you feel supported and grounded. Like, okay, I would never grab a pillow for myself, you know, even when we're getting adjusted. Like, oh, yeah, I do need something. This is not working. So it's still something I'm still practicing for myself and advocating for myself. Um but saying like, okay, no, I deserve to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not asking too much. Or like, um, so those I think are the, the things that modification has lended me to trust the process. Um, and then of course over time you see this growth 
And then just give myself grace for not only myself, how I can show up in any given space. So if I can't do 100%, let's say a friend has, you know, um, a birthday celebration, I can't attend. I can't attend the birthday, but maybe I can do coffee or lunch the next day. I can drop off a gift, et cetera. Like, so what are those things where I can still show up in a way that's best and in, in that people know that they're valuable? Um, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Without losing myself in the process. Yeah. I lost myself a lot in, like, love and... I think the desire to feel included in friend spaces and like so I was just in the gate what I needed. And so I think modification for me and those in you know interpersonal relationships, family, et cetera, like allows me to like take care of myself, my needs, and then see what I have to bridge the gap. And it's it's funny, I don't wanna say funny. It's something that both men and women are struggling with, mm. like taking care of their own needs, yeah. being responsible for your own happiness yeah. and peace. And, 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 how, and how do you do that in a way that, that allows you to live in and show up as your unique self, embodying your purpose without allowing the world yeah. to dim that light? Because the world is going to world, you know. Yep. People going people. But what's Charlene going to do? What's James going to do? James got to be James. If the world going to be the world, then James got to be James. You, you got to it. And it's, it's a tough thing, you know, because there, there, there is this inclination to modify at the extent of yourself. Yeah. And your purpose and your yeah. values and your core. And then you look up and you be like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Exactly. <laughs> and the idea to even start down the path, he's like, well, shit, I'm just, let me just, I'm here. <laughs> you know? I think a lot of times, um, especially in the social media, media age, we want, you know, the end results immediately. So we want to be, strong as we can, as fine as we can, as successful as we can, as rich as we can, without the process of, yeah. you know? And so um, I think modification, this, in my mind, this theory is like, how do we move the needle towards our highest selves, our highest goals, and, and those in the community? Because I feel like we also, I think there's this, this new wave of hyper-independence on social media. You're talking about cutting people off if they do you wrong or you feel any indiscretion versus you know, doing the work of repair um, to a point where it's toxic, right? Like this mm -hmm. is, no much. one should be able to, to be that disposable Yeah. Um, in our community and definitely not in our relationships, right? And, and um, I'm not saying there's not challenges where you require different you know, techniques and distance or whatever, and boundaries, of course. But I just really feel like we got to figure out how to, um, A, communicate our needs, know and communicate our needs. But that takes time. That's also a luxury, right, to take time. You know, you see white, rich, rich people, rich white people, like, do a leap year, do a, you know, a sabbatical year, <laughs> all these things. 
to find themselves, to get in tune with themselves. Yeah. There are no breaks for, for working class black people where we get that that time away to, and when we do, that's a luxury. I think a lot of times we don't feel that. And then a lot of times we see the end result and we want that immediately without yeah. any of the, uh, the ickiness that comes with the process, the messiness that comes with the process. So. You mentioned something about Issa Rae mm -hmm. and you liking angry, awkward black woman. Mm -hmm. I had never heard of the show. What? I'm not in. I don't, I've fair. never watched Snowfall, po Wire, Power. I I watched fucking Married with Children. So <laughs> <laughs> so please please tell Al me Bundy? what it is. Huh? Al Bundy? Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> All the old 80s shows. <laughs> but please tell me what it is about this show that you like so much. So the storyline is, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely an intro to, like, Insecure. So if you watch, watch Insecure, you didn't watch Insecure. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, it's a coming-of-age story. Awkward Black Girl was a web series that Issa Rae started in the, around... Maybe 2011, 2012, I, I definitely remember I was working for the mayor at that time, so I can remember watching it, like, at work. Um, it was, like, 15, 20 minutes, like, on YouTube. But she basically, the thing I love about it is because at that time, I was looking to break into the nonprofit industry in D.C., and I was just, I didn't have enough qualifications. I was overqualified. It was just, like, I, I couldn't get this job that I wanted, Right. But Issa Rae created this web series of something she wanted to see, and at that time was a void in black television because the writer's strikes had happened, I believe. So we were more reality TV. We wouldn't get a lot of scripted shows. We, the 90s, early 2000s eras of like the girlfriend shows, they weren't around anymore. So it's like, where do we see ourselves on TV? Mm -hmm. And especially from this, um, you know, this new generation of black people who are, you know, going to college, you know, more of us are going to college and, you know, so it's just a different nuanced story that I, I felt like she was telling where I saw a myself reflected in the, the series of course, but then also more so behind the scenes, like how do you put together a team how do you articulate your vision? How do you get mm. people to rally behind you? How do you create something with little to no resources? Because she didn't have any major backing at that time. And, um, so that is where I felt most empowered to, I, I tried, I've applied to 50 plus jobs in this industry. I've tried to look for programs that I think a lot of programs in DC, especially service children, and then Job Corps. And so once you age out of Job Corps at 24 years old, it's like, fuck it, you're on your own. This is how they feel about black people. You want to focus on, you know, black men? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And why, why, you know, and it's like, well, I feel like we still learn, we still evolve. So anyway, I think that hmm. piece of it is my draw to Issa of how she creates opportunities for herself and then for the team and like putting the right people in the right spaces is is a model that I've 
feel like I've adapted for starting one today for sure as well. And it sounds like it requires a lot of confidence. Mm. I, no? get, I get scared and fearful and question all the time. <laughs> um, but, you, but you do it. Oh. No? Yeah, but I, I want to make sure it's not missed or overlooked that sometimes there is a breakdown, right? There is a stagnation. Um, there's times where I have and did want to hide up under the covers for, you know, I'm not immune to, I've experienced very chronic depression during this pandemic, um, even more so than the grief of losing my son. Like, it was just ongoing, this perpetual grief, you know? Um, there have definitely been times where I felt like I didn't see the fruit of the, the work. And then one day things just start working. Mm. Um, I was reading a book, an audible, because I rarely have time to sit down and read physical like I, I used to. Um, but I was reading Good to Great. And one of the last chapters, he's talking about like how you know, you have this flywheel, this big flywheel, and you're trying to turn it. And at first, it takes all this motion. It's very hard. And you can spend months or years just trying to get it around, like, one time. And then eventually, we got all these compounded efforts. Eventually, you just, it just works. Like, you have your system. You have your purpose. People are aligned. You attract the right resources that you need. And I think we're just now beginning to the point where, like, there's enough momentum behind where we are that even if I'm having a bad day or a bad week, like the, the work propels itself. I've heard you mention your son three times mm. during the conversation. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't create a little space for that. 2008? Mm-hmm. Are you still grieving from that, or has the grief changed? Or yeah, I think um, it, it ebbs and flows. Grief, right? I think even during it wasn't. Um, you know, shock, and I think my spiritual world and feeling like. I heard God speak very clearly through me during that time, like hyper able to hear. Really? Yeah. Um, that I felt a, a level of peace almost immediately, you know? Um, I, I think grief, though, and not just for my son, his name was Caitlin Charles. Um, I think the other piece of it is that, and I've seen this uh, somewhat on social media, it's like, it just reminds me that I have loved, right? Like all the ways that I've loved and been connected to people. Um, so no, it's not like a sad, I don't get sad. I think there's a, a, a time where it's like, oh, my past could have went, yeah. Here and now it's here. And then like how did that shape where I was supposed to be anyway? Um so I, I'm really grateful for the way I think gratitude just it's everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out. 
I think trusting that. Um, Did it take you a while to say that? Or to feel it? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like, no, I think the only thing about it is like, did I think by this time at 41 that I'll be in a different space than where I was? And yeah, sure. But like, am I grateful for where I am? Like every ounce of this moment is so divine and so beautifully orchestrated. Mm -hmm. um, and I've grown so much. Like I wouldn't take anything, no path different, you know? Like, um, Angela Davis was really talking about something at the, she was at Bus Boys and Poets in Anacostia recently, maybe towards the end of last year. And she said something to the point where like, when you get to a point where like your grief, when you get grateful for your grief, it's like, that's how you know you're healing or healed. And I think I've been there for a while. Um, I think it comes up a lot more now because I think a lot of times we want to gloss over the, this, you know, external product mm -hmm. without understanding yeah. the path and the, the other side of it. Yeah. I could have stopped. I seen, you know, people, you know, lose their sanity. My hind that kind of lost. Um, if anything, I'm more angry at the healthcare system than I am grieving my own son. Because I, I advocate, like, I knew I was sick. I knew I was sick. I told them the entire pregnancy, I was still having morning sickness. And they was like, oh, it's just morning sickness. This is month six, month seven, month eight. And they just kept giving me stuff for it, right? And not running any more tests and all of those things. Um, so I wish, my grief is for more so now, it's like, or grief and grace around understanding that 25, 26-year-old Charlotte didn't have the language or knowledge to advocate more yeah. for myself and my son. But the, the advocate, the, the when I did speak up, it still landed on deaf ears. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. more of the issue that I feel like more tension about than anything. Do you speak about this often? It depends. It's not a secret. I was nine months pregnant, so it's like... Oh, yeah. People know. <laughs> it wasn't you. a secret pregnancy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but, you know, social media wasn't what, what it is today. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, so if you're around, then you know. I have spoken about it um, in our conversations we've had with uh, my hair appointment with the doula. And then we did one on uh, Black Maternal Health with Dr. Jocelyn Flotter. Um, and so, yeah, I do talk about it, but, you know, it's not something like a, like going on a tour about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have any shirts made? No shirts made. <laughs> from Honest Tees? <laughs> I, um... Shout out to Honest Tees. 
I had a, my teenage years were really bad. Mm. And I moved to uh, DC when I was 19 and I was messing with this woman. Before I moved, you know, got here, got my life together on the outside. Mm. I was fucked up mm. in here and in here, but mm. outside I was clean. We'll go back home to the hood, you know, in my Hugo Ball suits, you know, killing them, killing them. Went out to the club one day. This was maybe like three years. So 19, I might be like 22 at the time. Go to the club, see the girl I was messing with. Mm-hmm. I've never said this. No, I don't think. Exclusive, exclusive. Yeah. Saw the girl, met at the club. I'm sorry, saw the girl I used to mess with at the club. I was like, hey, what's going on? And she was real standoffish. Mm. And I was like, that's weird. That wasn't what our energy was like, you know, Mm. before I left. So I just chalked it up. Went back and forth home. Two years, three years after that, might be like 25, 26. I go to another club and I see her at the club again at another spot. And I was like, hey, you good? I was like, the last time I saw you, it was a real weird energy. I just wanted to make sure you were stri- you, you you straight. I I thought we were cool. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, we were cool. She was like, I just wasn't ready to tell you what I needed to tell you. And I was like, what? Like in my mind, I'm completely clueless. So we're in this club, boom, 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 three six mafia, you know, in the background, UGK. Hey. And she starts telling me that she was pregnant by me. And she had an abortion. Wow. I remember busting out crying wow. in the joint. Wow. And I was like, why would you do that? Yeah. And, she, I, and she said, I knew your life needed to change. And I knew that if I told you I was pregnant, that, I'd want, that you would want me to keep the baby. Mm. And she said, I wanted you to leave and to try to go have a better life. And I remember feeling so, like my emotions about uh, those dual paths that you yeah. were referring to. Yeah. I remember feeling bad for feeling mm. any semblance of gratitude that she made that decision. Really? And it took me a long time to resolve that because I did look at my life and was very appreciative of what I had done, what I had become and where I, you know, where I moved and all of that. But I kept imagining like the six year old little boy, girl, whatever, running around with light eyes, getting picked on by dark skinned kids. (laughs) I'm kidding, by the way, it's a joke. (laughs) All your life you had to fight. All my life. (laughs) But I couldn't, it was, it was really, it was yeah. really hard. I'd never seen her again after that conversation. We went and had lunch at a diner, a breakfast at a diner, stayed up to like five or six o'clock in the morning, just talking and catching up. And I never saw or talked to her again wow. after that conversation. So as you were, as you were saying that, I was, it, it, it triggered that thought in me. My kid would damn near be 30 years old now. Mm. That's wild yeah. to think about that. Yeah, for sure. But. For sure. You know, these these things that happen in our lives, sometimes you do get to take these dual paths in your head. And one, 
you know, you don't know. All you know is what you know. Mm -hmm. But a part of that process, I feel, is uh, deconstructing mm -hmm. your present life and then reconstructing this imaginary one. And then you can only do that for so long until yeah. it's just like. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I would, and I wouldn't change a thing. And I, I get both. And, you know, yeah, I think, I think at the time I was uh, cognizant enough to understand that there was, in the midst of my grief, some relief. Mm. You know, if I'm being honest, um, because I know that I would pretty much have to raise that son on my own. Gotcha. You know, um, and uh, I still had dreams and aspirations for myself, you know, and not feeling if I had the best support system at that time here in D.C. to raise DC is expensive. It's hard. Mm -hmm. You talking about um, the environment? So yeah, I, I feel both, both and and uh, the grief and some relief. I also feel that um, the path that has brought me to where you know I have a minty child. That's what I call her, a minty child. I was gonna ask you about her. She's the light of my world. Eight to eighteen. Eight to eighteen. Um, and she lost her mom when she was four. So the timeline is like almost parallel to when I lost my son and how we have leaned into each other, not just because of that, you know, but there's such a, a underlying understanding of what that grief is mm -hmm. uh, that we both share in her having to share that unfortunately for so such a young age mm -hmm. um that it has you know fortified like she's dope <laughs> she's just good energy i see you know parts of myself in her i see parts of um her in me and um I think the beautiful thing about that is that we choose each other. Yeah. Every day. There's power in that. Yeah. And um, motherhood, I've always felt like I was a mother, even when I lost my son. But then now at 41, it's like, okay, motherhood looks completely different than I imagined for myself. But this still is motherhood. Mm -hmm. Right? And, um, I wouldn't change a thing about it. I wouldn't change a thing about it. You're mothering a lot of people. Mm. I feel. You got an awesome spirit. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. it's really nurturing too. And it's warm. And I'm glad that you didn't do chemistry. <laughs> It's been a fucking waste for you to be in somebody's lab making people Yo, laugh who have no fucking sense of humor. <laughs> be like, all of that, all of that, that smile, that energy, that skin popping in a white lab coat. 
The Petri, nah, we good. You did exactly, exactly what you were called to do. It has been the most excruciating process, though, into the calling. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of, and I really hear, and I, I'm taking in, soaking in that affirmation of my spirit, is because staying soft throughout this pandemic has been my greatest victory. Like, mm. staying open, not turning bitter, not turning bitter even after I lost my son, and of course, you know, all the breakup. Like, there's, I feel like hope left during the pandemic, and I had to go back and find her, like, like on her down. Uh, and, and create like a new covenant, like, where it relied less on me being in control and more on me trusting where, where things were going. Um, but once hope returned, like everything feels possible again. So for me, it's like, this is, we went through hell and back. We had to fight the devil a couple of times to like yeah. come back on the other side. I think this is who I innately am. But um, there's so many times where I felt like it was out of grasp. Like I had lost touch of my soul. Yeah. Now I gotta say this. She didn't say it. She didn't ask. You are a five oh one C three nonprofit organization. That means that you are fueled and powered by <laughs> gifts of the community. Indeed. In what ways can people help both monetarily and non monetarily? That's a great question. Let's start with non-monetary because a lot of times we get like people who just want to volunteer because we're a nonprofit organization. But the same approach, like I, uh, we're building a team. It's the same approach I use with my volunteers. I love to do skill-based, talent-based, passion-based matches. So, um, if you know, we may have a need that's you know financial, but. If your gifts are in plants, then we need to figure out, we're gonna put you on plants, we're not gonna put you over here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so that's what a lot of our volunteer programming looks like where um, people who have a passion, a talent, expertise, and they have uh, um, skills that they need to share to the community. Then we're a place for you to share those skills, hone those skills. Um, so that's the easiest way. It's a lot of back-end stuff that uh, we do volunteer work around PR, around um, data, um, in, a, in the operations standpoint. But you can email us at info at startingwiththeday.org. Tell me that you're interested in volunteering. Say what you want to do. <laughs> like, say things that you're good at, that you're interested in, things that bring you joy. Because I think when you show up to a place where your joy is being honored, you, again, you show up your best self. Like, I don't have to tell you yeah. to do your best. It's your default. It's your default, right? So creating spaces where we can operate in joy is really my ethos. And then also, of course, yeah, um, donations, Startingwithtoday.org um, has the ability to donate. Um, take Apple Pay, Google Pay, all the things, monthly donations to really help sustain our programming. So same thing, 
PBS special, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Give monthly, you don't have to think about it. Um, It allows us to plan our programming in the future. And, you know, starting at $10 per month, you can really begin to help us, you know, uh, strengthen our infrastructure as we're beginning to scale um, in this next iteration. So, yeah, that's about it. Um, We have a partnership with Black Leaf Tea. Uh, we have our own tea, custom tea blend with them. Shout out to Amber Jackson, who's amazing, who um, designed this beautiful tea for us. That's on our website and also on blackleaf.com. It's called the Freedom Tea. Mm. And then shortly, we are launching our first apparel line. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Um, so that'll be a great way to give the price part would be like higher than normal because it is yeah. an opportunity to give back and, you know, get some merch. But, um, when is that? Give me, uh, oh, shit. <laughs> this motherfucker don't know this month, By the end of this month, for sure. By, by May 31st, it will be live and in person. Okay. Starting with today, the Genesis Collection. Oh, oh, oh! I don't know why it made me want to do this. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, we did the photo shoot already. Shout out to our, our amazing photographer Candy uh, Williams Photography, who has been capturing the pictures at the barbershop on her own. Again, that's a volunteer mm-hmm. uh, position that she saw. We needed it before even I knew we needed it, but. Uh, just to be able to tell better quality stories has um, been able to help us propel our work forward for sure. So, um, yeah, that's how we roll. You are an example of what it means to listen to yourself mm-hmm. and what's possible when you do that. I think sometimes we get confused that when you do it, that shit gets easy. It's actually when it starts to get hard. <laughs> but not doing it is also hard. And also not doing it for me, it was killing my spirit. When I knew I was supposed to be doing, starting with today full time, like things got so bad. It was a car accident. It was a terrible work environment. Um, all of those things, it's like, it had to get uncomfortable for me to take that yeah. that hard leap, right? And and then on that, that fear were valid. I was talking to a friend recently. It's like, you know, the fears that I had about being a full time entrepreneur uh, were valid. Like, <laughs> are you willing to to lose it all? Because we I quit in August 2019, so I had no idea the pandemic was six months mm-hmm. away. You know, schools, uh, our parent engagement program was our primary uh, source of revenue at that time. Um, and that shut down. So yeah. then what? You know what I'm saying? But I've learned so much about my strengths. I've learned how to trust myself. Um, I've learned how to, that's tough. You know, even people who love you and want the best for you. Like I, I, I had to follow this path. <laughs>